To make it in cannabis, first, you must dare to. 12 years ago, MJ BizCon dared to unite the global cannabis community, igniting a movement that continues to thrive. The wait is over. Let's grow together this November 28th through December 1st in Las Vegas. You'll hear incredible stories, see groundbreaking innovations, and forge connections you need to thrive in 2024. But wait, snag your ticket to MJ BizCon in October, and you are eligible for the 31 days of Croptober giveaways. Promotion going on right now. So hurry, get your ticket today. And here's a secret. Podcast listeners get 10% off with promo code 23POD10. Yes, that's 23POD10. Don't miss out. Get your ticket at mjbizcon.com. That's mjbizcon.com. Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. I'm glad you could attend. Come inside. Come inside. Come inside. Right now. You are listening to Let's Talk Hemp in the 422. I am your host, Morris Beagle. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, hello from the 422. We are entering into episode number two of season two, and I'm sitting here with my partner in hemp spirit, Rick Trojan. Howdy, howdy. What's happening, bud? Dude, this uh, season two, episode two. This is Across the Pond. So we had a great first episode, as you recall. We talked with Frank Robinson of the Robinson Law Group about transport seizures of domestically licensed product in states like Oklahoma and Idaho. Um, Our new podcast company is coming up to speed. We're working out the kinks there. Um, So hopefully things are sounding better and looking better on your guys' side. We think they are. Uh, We've got a lot of material coming out this season. We've got legal clarity surrounding hemp and all cannabinoids, including THC and CBD. Morris, they are now all federally legal and off the Controlled Substances Act. So all cannabinoids are now outside of the jurisdiction of the Department of Justice and the DEA. So, DEA go MIA, and we did it. We made it happen. But uh, but now we have issues with, as we'll find out, uh, another three-letter letter word, the FDA and those folks. But uh, exciting things happening, but now is the time to learn about hemp and regenerative practices, and so that's what we're doing here at the 422. Uh, let's talk about where we just went. We were just in Birmingham, United Kingdom. Uh, Morris, tell us a little bit about the hemp and CBD Expo. What what was it? What were your thoughts? So the Hemp and CBD Expo in Birmingham, which was awesome to go to. A, I got to go to the homeland of Black Sabbath and Judas Priest. And unfortunately, I was really excited because I thought Black Sabbath Bridge had already been dedicated. And there was a the Black Sabbath bench that was dedicated back on February 11th. And I thought it was going to be on the bridge, but actually we couldn't find we couldn't find the bench because the bridge is yet to be dedicated. They were working on the bridge. We were at the bridge that's going to be Black Sabbath Bridge that's not yet Black Sabbath Bridge that's going to be Black Sabbath Bridge in June, and the bench will go there. Um, But we got to go to Birmingham, the home of Black Sabbath, and we got to go to the very first annual Hemp and CBD Expo, and the guys that put that on did a great job. There was 100-plus exhibitors and sponsors, 
5,000 people throughout the weekend, uh, really good energy, good programming, very well done for the first Hemp and CBD Expo there in England. Yeah, and so just real quick, let's go back to that what I call the Mo Venture, right? So as we travel around, usually I'm the crazy guy that's getting excited about this stupid thing or that stupid thing or whatever it is, right? Uh, and you go along and you're awesome with it, but this was, I think, one of the good times when you were super excited about this bridge. And so it was the Mo Venture. I, didn't have, I had no idea what we were doing, where we were going. I just smiled and supported your adventure. And we get all the way there, and part of the Mo Venture, as I would come to learn, was visualizing how awesome this bridge is going to be when it's ready. So we were there before, so we're a little ahead of the time, but we were there in the spot where it was happening, in the middle of it happening. But part of the MoVenture was also mental visualizing how amazing the bridge is gonna be. So I'm excited to go back and see it when it's done. Uh, We'll see if it matches up to my visualization of the bridge, but it was super exciting. Birmingham was great, the expo was amazing. I mean, really, there was a couple of big takeaways from our time there. Uh, it, it was a, it was a great expo. It was actually at the National Exhibition Center, which is the, the NEC is the largest exhibition center in all of the United Kingdom, 186,000 square meters, so two two million square feet. Essentially, this place has, and there was a, a whole huge bridal and wedding shower, which thankfully we didn't find ourselves in. And there was a there was another huge conference there, but. But the CBD Expo really took up a big, big part of that center, and it was full. I mean, it was full with amazing new innovative products, which we'll get into here in a bit. It had hundreds of vendors. I mean, it just was so, it was, and we had some American companies there. Gen Canna was there. Blue and Botanicals was there. Boulder um, Botanicals. Boulder Botanicals was there. Well, there was a couple, yeah. So it was it was good. And part of that's the collaboration with uh, with Colorado Hemp Company and NOCO Expos and the Southern Hemp Expo. And I think that's good that we're now going across the pond, right, as we call this episode, for that partnership to start happening and that that excitement that we're building across the pond really to drive the market. What were some things that you took away from the expo? Well, one thing is for being their first hemp and CBD expo, I thought that they were very organized. They did a great job communicating with the speakers and the sponsors. I mean, we got to speak both days doing a marketing and branding thing on one day and then kind of a general, all the great things hemp can do on the second day. But their communication with the speakers and the the sponsors and I think their advertising to the the greater community and and locally and stuff. They had a really nice magazine they put together. I thought that overall, they just, from an organizational standpoint, I was very impressed with the way they put everything together. Yeah, yeah, it was was well run. And and we'll get into, we had the honor of being the first judges at the MCBD Expo, along with Nick and Callie Blackwell, who we'll talk about. But even that was uh, was put together and a great addition to um, to what they provided at the Expo for their vendors and their sponsors. So some things I thought were cool, though, they had a 3D food-infused printer with accurate dosing. So essentially, you can get your cannabinoids printed into your... These were taffies or gel caps or something. You tried one, didn't you? Uh-huh. What was it? It was like a mint or something, wasn't it? Yeah, it was like a little square piece of trident. You know, it wasn't gum, but it was like a chewy piece of something. It had some sort of sweetener in it, but it had like, I don't know, two and a half milligrams of CBD or five milligrams. I mean, it was accurate dosing, whatever you want to program in there. It could be two and a half, five, 10, 15. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was really cool. And then there was also, and that was part of the innovation awards that we judged. So we had got to go around and check out some really cool stuff, actually. But another thing that actually won was this coffee machine that accurately dosed to the milligram CBD into coffee and hot chocolate and 
um, cappuccino. It was like a real coffee machine that they have in Europe that makes 15 different types of coffee, right? But they also have a feeder that gives, you know, I think it was like, what, 15 milligrams of CBD per dose or per cup, uh, which was absolutely incredible, right? Yeah, that that's why they won the Innovation Award. I thought it was the coolest piece of technology that we saw. And hopefully, the I don't think they're going to make it out to NOCO, but we did make contact with those guys. And hopefully, they're going to be out at Southern Hemp Expo and we'll get some machines here in the United States. Yeah, I mean, the machines are absolutely cool. And uh, I think, uh, as they say in Birmingham, I think they would be keen on coming over across the pond to see us. Um, so talking about some cool stuff that they did at the, at the uh, Hemp CBD Expo, we were honored to be judges of the Expo Award. So the 13 different categories, I think, which was quite a bit, but what they have like packaging, innovation, branding, vape, edible, um, inhalable, all pretty good stuff. Um, you know, what were your thoughts on that? What, what, what kind of stood out to you? Well, they, there were a lot of categories and there were a lot of companies and there were a lot of boxes that we had to check and put down ratings. So it, they definitely made us work while we were out there. For it was, sure. I remember like some of that stuff was, was pretty gnarly, but some of it was we had to judge the CBD edibles, right? And so I get, remember those chocolate cherries? I think the first ones of the day, we get in there and I open these things. I'm like, oh, these look delicious. And so I pop one and it was actually really good. And I thought it was 25 milligrams, but it was actually 250 milligrams of CBD in the chocolate. And so that was kind of how we started the day. And then we just kept building more CBD, topical, inhalable to tincture. I mean, there's all sorts of, we didn't get to really test the bath bombs, but we didn't really have time for that. Unfortunately, we would have, that would have been more CBD. So <laughs> it was uh, probably over a gram of CBD, I think, I, I, I ingested that day. I would say that I probably consumed 1,500 milligrams of CBD that day. It's probably the most I've ever consumed. Yeah, it was. I was a little, uh, kind of at the end of the day, I didn't feel stoned. Obviously, we were super functional because we had to be. Um, but I did, I did feel a little kind of just like, maybe lightheaded is the word, or just kind of a little like, more cloudy, I think, you know, just kind of up a little bit, but not like nothing crazy. And I, that was, that was how it felt to me. Um, I definitely wish they would have had THC to bring down the CBD, but, uh, but you know, it was a hemp CBD expo, so THC wasn't involved. So how did you feel? I mean, having, having a gram and a half was quite a bit. Yeah. I, I, I didn't feel stoned, but I felt different. Yeah. Like something I hadn't really felt before. I mean, I felt fine. I yeah. felt good, but I I certainly wasn't like stoned. Yeah, I wonder if that much CBD just makes your body talk to itself so much, and we're not used to that. So we're like, oh my god, it's we can understand what's happening. Maybe it's just too much to understand for right. maybe for my body. But yeah, that was awesome. The awards were great. Um, the whole thing was was a great episode. So uh, it was a great uh, weekend for us. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Jen Canna, Blue Hen, um, Boulder Botanicals, Greenstem won five awards, uh, which was amazing. They had some great new packaging. They're there out of uh, the UK. They're a vape company that's now doing a bunch of different products from lip balm to vape with uh, with CBD as well. Um, so it was good. It was, what, what, what were your final thoughts on the, on the weekend? Well, I agree with everything you said there. Uh, one thing I would say is the show itself was fairly vape heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the industry a lot of these guys come from. And, and a lot of these vape companies have now moved over and have added SKUs in the CBD side of things, whether that's a vape SKU or they're now doing tinctures and capsules and some topicals and stuff like that. So I would imagine when they go about doing their next show, which is I think is going to be in September, they're doing their second one. And I think it's September 13th, 14th, 15th, that weekend. It's the weekend after Southern Hemp Expo. Anyway, hopefully we can get back to it, but 
you know, it, it was a bit vape heavy. I would hope next time around that they'll get some more maybe hemp food companies and and maybe some textile type companies there was i don't even know if there was any hemp textile there well there was a there was the there was a couple there was a couple of non-profits yeah, i think but like exactly. you said it was a great start right and it was definitely interest um uh, and definitely that was the background that's where these that's where these these boys all come from uh is the vape side of things and i think and the, or the e-seg i guess or whatever you call it now whatever the kids that are vaping and are calling it um but i think i think absolutely there's a lot of there's a lot more hemp exposure in, in Europe, I think. So I think the UK, uh, and kind of depending on Brexit, I guess, or what happened there, but I think the UK has a lot of opportunity to show a lot more of the textiles that are there and the locally sourced stuff and and those sorts of things, the different products. I mean, there's, you know, Wolf Jordan has hemp create and hemp building right, you know, right across the channel there. So yeah. uh, lots of opportunity there, but I think, uh, shit, for the first time, it was it was great. And it was it was good to explore Birmingham, especially to sport with you and go around on the Mo Venture. And, uh, and then get to visualize some fantastic bridges. So let's get into Cali. We have a really cool interview for you guys this month. It is as this amazing woman we met at the hotel during this expo. She was just, I mean, Mel, how would you explain her? Just engaged and passionate and very knowledgeable. And I think, uh, I mean, I sat with her for a while on the couch that first night, just listening to her story. I uh, heard her story about her son, which you guys will hear here in a bit. And she's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's fascinating how she essentially broke the law to save her to to help her son die essentially and started giving him cannabis oil and his ability for his body his you know this 10 year old body to regrow nerves regrow bone marrow which is which blew my mind which makes sense from a cbg standpoint but at any rate the story is incredible uh we're excited this incredible mother and advocate was able to share uh, in person with us at the expo so with that we'll introduce uh callie blackwell live from the hemp Live on recording from the National Exposition Center, the Hemp CBD Expo in Birmingham, United Kingdom. So we'll, uh, we'll chat with you guys after. So we're here with Callie Blackwell and tell us, give us your story and tell us how you came to get in the cannabis industry and the story of the one in seven billion. Okay, so in 2010, my son was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia and he had Condition, um, conventional treatment, chemotherapy, things like that. Whilst on active chemotherapy, two years later, he developed another cancer called Langerhans cell sarcoma, which made him the only person in the whole world to have the two cancers together, hence the boy in seven billion. And because he was the only one in the world, there's no protocol for him. So the doctors decided that they would give him a bone marrow transplant and five months of extensive more chemotherapy and radiotherapy and things like that. He ended up having four bone marrow transplants because each one consecutively failed for various reasons. The first two failed because of drugs they were giving him. The third one failed because of an anomaly. And the fourth one, they said that there was no more options after that. Um, if he didn't take this bone marrow transplant, there was nothing left. They couldn't do anything for him. And he would be left with no functioning bone marrow. And he obviously can't live like that. So after he had his fourth and final transplant of his own cells, they gave his own cells back. He trapped his fingers down the side of his bed and picked up two catastrophic infections in his hands and one in his mouth. So his now new struggling bone marrow was trying to kill off the new infections, but it was also trying to establish, and it just couldn't. It, just, it was under too much stress. So, hang on, he got infected on his hands, but how did he get infected on his mouth? He just... He just yeah. his hands in his mouth? Well, he, just, I, he had this... It was like... It was called Klebsiella, and we don't know where he got it from, but he was in isolation. He was in a very sterile environment, yet his immune system was so eradicated that he was just able to pick up 
Uh, Tebs Yellow is like the um, MRSA, you know, that flesh eating, so, like yeah. it, 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 a small portion of the side of the tongue. Which there's no cure for MRSA, there's no cure for like, any of that stuff. Absolutely, right? yeah. yeah. So he, he had these three catastrophic infections, no functioning immo- uh, uh, immune system, and they told us that nobody had ever engrafted, which means that the bone marrow starts to take um, place in your own body and produce your own blood cells. If that hasn't happened by day 50, it's never going to happen. It's never happened. Records never showing it happening after those days. So at day 46, we had the last and final meeting where we were told that they had exhausted everything they could do for him. We had tried everything and there was nothing left that they could do for him. And now we were looking at palliative care. And we were asked to go to a hospice, an end-of-life palliative care hospice. I asked the question then, you know, I, I saw what he was hooked up to, all the antibiotics, and he basically was the only thing keeping him alive, they told us. And I saw that as a conscious life support machine because they told me that as soon as I took him off of those drugs, he would have three days a week at most and the infections would just ravage him. So we took him out of hospital on day 46 and took him to the hospice. We had Christmas on December the 14th because we were, we were taken to the hospital on December the 11th. So December the 14th, we had Christmas. Thinking that he wasn't going to be there for Absolutely. the regular Christmas. Yeah, exactly. The hospital put on a beautiful space for us. It was incredible. It was probably one of the most magical Christmases ever. And then he hung around and got a second Christmas, to which I refused to buy any more presents for. That wasn't happening. Um, no, he hung around for a second Christmas, and then he was there for New Year's, and he hadn't done what they said he was going to do. So, but his organs had started to shut down. He was his stomach had started to slow down. So he was producing about a pint of bile every half an hour, which I was having to draw out of his nose tube. If I didn't, he'd vomit, and then his tube would come up. He'd need another one put in, and it was just this horrendous circle. So. We were, we were in that position where we were draining his stomach every half an hour and and everything was slowing down and they were telling me that this was the beginning of the end. Now, previously to this, Darren had had one of the infections being in his fingers. They had wanted to amputate his hands across here, which like from the middle, next to the middle In between finger. the wrist, the middle finger and the middle yeah, finger. Yeah, like half the hand? Yeah, so you would take the thumb, the first finger and the middle finger, They because these were the infected fingers, so they would be gone. They wanted to remove them. They wanted to cut them away completely because the infection, he was, he was very necrotic. From the knuckles up, they were black, like phosphate, and the pain of his hand dying was horrendous. Fentanyl wasn't working, morphine wasn't working, he was on every painkiller going, and it, it just nothing was getting rid of his neuropathic pain. So they started talking about gabapentin and things like that, but I said to them, look, I've been researching and, and there's actually a pain relief we can get from Holland called Vegican. And she said, no, it's not licensed for children. So I looked at the main ingredient of Vegican and it was cannabis. So now cannabis had come up for me many, many times in the previous years, but I had dismissed it because all I'd ever read really was cannabis and cancer. And Darren didn't have cancer anymore. He had the cancer had been you know, eradicated with chemotherapy and then the second cancer had been cut out. So this was a completely different issue. And I thought, well, there's no point. But when I saw for the pain relief, and I thought, well, do you know what? Let's just source cannabis. Let's make our own tincture. Let's put it in a vape pen for him. Let's give it to him secretly in the hospital. Let's see if we can stop his pain so that he can keep his hand. Unfortunately, we made the, we made the tincture, and he fused it in a vape, but it, it just wasn't strong enough. It was only a mild tincture made with a vegetable glycerin extraction, so it really wasn't potent enough. But he kept puffing on his pen every now and again because he thought it was pretty cool, and he liked the vapor. And it was a bit naughty, you know. Um, but it wasn't really doing anything. So after them not amputating his hand, they, I asked the neurectomy. I said, look, don't take his hand. Don't maim him. I just want him to die in one piece and pain-free. Let's just sever the nerve. So they agreed to that. Because um, he was supposed to, essentially, he was supposed to be gone exactly. by the time 
Oh, hello, just really quickly. I'm not going to No worries, we'll see you later. So, just to lay for the listeners out there, yeah, we are sorry. at <laughs> the National Expo Center, the largest expo center in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Right, which might be just Brexit style soon, but <laughs> in the United Kingdom. And Callie is so popular here, people are coming up and down all the time. And we've gone into the corner as well. We tried yeah. to hide in the corner. We tried to hide. I think the pink and purple hair, like, Yeah, it kind of gives but, me away a little. Uh, um, but, yeah, so anyway, so back to the story. So. Yeah, so I asked for a neurectomy, so to just take the pain away from his hands. And they agreed to that. They also, they didn't just sever the nerves. They actually cauterized the nerves so that they, they came back and he said, he'll never feel that hand again. Don't worry, there will be no chance of any pain from his hands. He'll never feel it again. He'll never use it again. He was like this, you know, like, so his fingers were all bent over and he was very rigid. He couldn't do anything. So, so that's fine. We don't care, you know. So they bandaged the fingers up and they told us, do not take those bandages up under any circumstances because this, the flesh underneath, we've taken it all back to the bone. It's pretty, you know, we need to just keep it in a sterile environment. So, okay, not a problem. So we went to the hospice. And like I say, he didn't go anywhere initially, but everything started to slow down and he became very anxious. He started to get very anxious and angry because he just wanted to go now. You know, he, just he, four wanted, years. he was ready to die. He was, he, he'd had four years. And he was, what, 14 now? He was 14 now, yeah. And he'd had enough of this. I mean, they'd given him every drug. They said to me, because there was no protocol, they would give him everything they could without killing him. So they took him to the brink really with the treatment they gave him. They gave him adult doses of radiotherapy. He had total body irradiation. He had it on his throat. The chemotherapy was adult doses. They were just getting it in him because they had no idea how to treat this. And didn't they, they at one point, wanted to just start giving him morphine, which actually speeds up the, yeah, the process, Yeah, right? especially in palliative care environment. Yeah. I mean, he wasn't in any pain now, really. So they start upping the morphine because obviously he's very agitated and he's getting quite angry and things like that. So they up the morphine. Now, Devin had been very specific in his death plan that he didn't want to die on morphine. He wanted, he wanted to experience his death. You know, they'd taken everything else from him. They weren't taking that. And he planned his funeral dance, the music, the hearse, the venue, the costumes that we all had to wear because it was fancy dress. And he was really <laughs> sick and twisted in a lot of the costumes. And so... Everything was planned and he was ready to go. And it was the fact that he just wasn't going anywhere, that this was, this was angering him. You know, they've given him three days and here, three, almost three weeks later, he's still around. So I asked him to take the morphine away because I wanted to assist him in the death that he wanted. And when they took the morphine away, again, caused the agitation. So they gave him sleeping tablets. They're giving him a lot time. And again, he was just in and out of consciousness. Not One drug for another Yeah, not, not giving him the death that he wanted. You know, we're all going to die. And if anything, we should be allowed to have the death that we so deserve. You know? So I just thought, you know what? Okay, the pen didn't work, but the, the jar was still under the bed. And the hospice workers now call it the magic under the bed. They, they could, a few of them knew what we were doing in the bait pen and things. So I just looked at this jar and I just thought, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. I just... I tasted it myself. It actually tastes quite nice. I'm just going to give him a load and see. Hopefully, it'll chill him out because obviously, I then knew cannabis. Well, it calms him down, doesn't it? So, I drew up five mil, stuck it under his tongue, and within half an hour to an hour, his whole demeanor was changed. You literally saw him sink into the bed and was like, I'm chill. I'm, this is okay. And he said to me, Mum, of all the drugs I've ever had, because he's had pethidine, he's had ketamine, he's morphine, fentanyl. I've seen him on diaz, I've seen him on everything. And he said to me that cannabis, when I gave that to him, he said, my God, it just sorted everything out, everything. He's autistic as well, and he has Tourette's syndrome, and he said it slowed his brain down. He was able to process the thoughts and everything. 
for me, it was already a miracle because he then turned down the morphine, he turned down the Zilaraspan. When the nurses came in to give it to him, yeah. he said, I don't need it. Well, right. there was another drug that he called cyclozine, which is an anti-emetic drug, but it's not supposed to be addictive. But as I think I explained to you the other day, because the hospital was so short on equipment, it's a drug that's meant to be put in a syringe driver over a 15-minute period. They didn't have enough syringe drivers, and the nurses didn't have time to stand there over 15 minutes, so they would bang it into him in five minutes caused this massive high like heroin and he became so addicted to that wonderful feeling that he was screaming at the nurses when he was in the hospital where's my I want my cyclozine well fuck you then I'm going to go to sleep until I can have it again I, he was like a smash head you know it's incredible to watch this and so again just to be clear so instead of a 15 minute time yeah. uh, like dosage right yeah. period they did it in yeah. seconds or minutes. Yeah, and it got to and the then point. You would do it, right? If yeah, I mean, this is, I'm not going to name any names of the nurses because I would never sure. want anyone to get in trouble because they probably would. But yeah, it got to the point where they felt so sorry for him because he was dying anyway. They would literally come in, hook the line up to his, to his Hickman line that was going into his, straight into his jugular. Yeah. And he would literally bang it into himself, get this huge euphoric rush, and be okay for a couple of hours. He was like, and for nine months I watched him gradually oh, get cow. so addicted to this so when I gave him the cannabis and I saw him relax and the nurse came to the door with the cyclozine and I looked at her and thought oh my god am I going to cause a contraindication if I just is that going to over what's going to happen now yeah. oh, and I can't say anything and I didn't need to because Devin turned interact, to, yeah. yeah exactly I had no idea and I realised the seriousness of what I'd done then oh my god what if I you know and he turned to her and said, I, you can take it away, I don't want it. And she looked at me, and I looked at her, and I said, just take it before he changes his mind. And she was, he's sure, just go. And I said to him, hang on a minute, you don't want cyclozine? He went, I don't feel like I need it. But he's been jonesing for and getting after yeah. for nine months. Straight away. The first, and the first dose the, of cannabis. That was literally the first dose that I'd given him. Yeah, a five mil of a vegetable tincture. Wasn't even particularly strong. I never got it tested, so I don't know. But it wasn't, it couldn't have been certainly wasn't deco. It wasn't, you know, what you guys know as the symptom. It wasn't that. This was just a cold extraction. So, yeah, it was, it was incredible to see that. So, immediately, it was an exit drug for me. Immediately, I saw him no more fentanyl, no more morphine, no more cyclozine, no more uh, lorazepam, just the cannabis. So, it's an exit, cannabis, exit drug Absolutely. for other pharmaceuticals. Absolutely. I would say it's a gateway drug to health and getting uh, off chemicals. Yeah, right? exactly. So it is a gateway, but it's a gateway to wellness. It's a, it's a gateway, gateway to, to enlightenment as well. Exactly, it, yeah. it opens your mind. And, Correct. And so... I, already it was a miracle for me because it was going to give him the death that he wanted. And as a mother, as a parent, you just want to give your children what they want. And so to be able to see that he was now going to pass in a way that was, he was happy with, and I was in turn, that made me happy. So it was already a miracle. So I just kept giving it to him and there was no more drugs involved. They weren't giving him any more pharmaceutical drugs because he was refusing and the nurses knew what I was doing and they were like, oh, the magic under the bed, you know. And there was a little bit of a running joke going on with it. Five days later. So this is day 70. So I do have to go back a little. So on day 69, because he's still here, 19 days after they said that nobody can ever engraft and he's still not dead, I asked him to do a bone marrow aspirate. So they, that's where they take a core biopsy out of the hip joint bone because it's so big. They can take a, a sample of the bone marrow and they can look at it under the microscope and tell you exactly what's going on in there. Nothing. Nothing. No bone, no nothing. bone marrow is being Day 69, created. Nothing. They even came to me, and I remember the nurse coming to me and putting the note in my hand with the blood results on it, and she said, I'm so sorry. And I said, I looked, said nothing, and I said, I'm not. 
because both me and Darren had spoken about, I hope there's nothing in there. And as a parent, you know, it's like, what? what Why? Because you wanted, I wanted him done. to go, Yeah, I just wanted him to go now. It was the point where you see your children suffering so much. You, I used to wake up hoping that he'd be dead because it's an end for this suffering for him, right? And, and so when there was nothing in there, that's when Darren started to get all the agitation, like, oh, well, there's nothing in there. I've just now got to wait. And, oh, my God, you know, this is... So that's... So I gave him the cannabis from day 70. I then started sleeping in his bed with him as well. He had quite a... He was given a large bed and I sleep because I was... I just didn't want to wake up. You know, it was horrible that time. I'd go to sleep holding his hand and I'd think I'm going to wake up and find a cold hand in my hand and these kind of things every day. So I just kept giving the cannabis. And on day 75, we sat in the... Um, it was like a lounge area in the hospital. And he sat and he had his hand in between his legs like this and fell asleep. And he woke up and pulled his hand out and the middle bandage had come off. And he went, Mum, look at my hand. And I was like, what's wrong with your hand? You know, because I, if there's no bandage, then there's going to be necrotic from down to the bone. Yes, the hand that has yeah, the issues, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. death fingers. Yeah, they they like, yeah, don't look at those hands, you know. So I what do you mean? I looked at his hands and he went, look at my hand, look at my finger. And I'm like, oh my God. And his finger looked like mine, but with no nails. And I knew that you can't even grow skin cells without a functioning bone marrow. You can't do that. So it went from black to pink. So his finger was there. Very thin. You yeah. could tell they'd taken a lot of flesh away. But his finger was... It was there's blood flow there now, where blood flow hadn't been, obviously, because it was necrotic. Five days into the Five cannabis. Five days into the cannabis. And so the nurses are running around and oh my god you know the doctors called in from the children's hospital we need to do a blood test I said why you told me five days ago there was nothing there why, why do you need a blood test this isn't normal this isn't right this cannot be happening so they did the blood test and I still have the piece of paper I don't have it on me now but I still have the piece of paper where the neutrophils are the parts of the white count uh, your white blood cells that fight infection and so the neutrophils are the ones we always used to keep an eye on when they did the bone marrow aspirate the neutrophil count was 0005 this day, five days later, they slid the paper across to me on the table and I turned it over and his neutrophil count was 0.25. And they just looked at me and went, we don't think he's dying anymore. What? <laughs> it was five what? times higher than it was the, day before, the yeah. last test. Yeah, within five days, it was five times higher wow. than it was five days previously. So it's like, what, what do you mean he's not dying? Well, he's got, there's a count come from somewhere. And I said, well, you tell me this couldn't happen after 50 days. Like, we don't know what's going on. And I, Obviously, I couldn't tell them what I'd done because in this country, social services would come in, they'd take your child, they'd make them the ward of the court. I, yeah, I wasn't so scared of my children going into care. That didn't scare me. What scared me was Devin now losing the one thing that had clearly worked for him when everything else had failed. Their toolbox had been utilised, used, emptied, thrown on the floor. There was nothing left for them to give him. And this had now finally worked for him. So, of course... The doctor comes in and says to Darren, oh, you know, you're not dying anymore. So, you know, if you get a temperature, what do you want us to do? Do you want any antibiotics? And he says, you can leave me the fuck alone. I don't want any more of this. I don't want you to prod and poke me anymore. And thankfully, since that day, Darren has not had one pharmaceutical drug since then. He had a bit of shingles. But other than that, he's not touched pharmaceuticals. He's not on the four drugs that they say he should be on. Um, you know, and so this was, they were calling him a miracle. They decided he was a miracle. So obviously I knew what I'd done, so we stayed on in the hospice and they monitored him more and more and they did lots of blood tests. Now I waited until his neutrophil count got to just about one and I then felt safe to take the cannabis away because I knew I had one opportunity, one single window of opportunity to make sure that this was not a coincidence and I never wanted anyone to tell me that it was a coincidence. So I did an experiment, I took it away and I watched the, the, cannabis, the, cannabis, I took the cannabis away and the neutrophil count passed. 
I gave it back and it doubled. I took it away and it halved. And I did that over six blood count periods, up, down, up. There was a direct correlation between me giving the cannabis and his neutrophil count doubling. Essentially, he was creating bone marrow. Yeah, he, he was creating his own immune system. He went through all the chemicals and not having anything for bone marrow transplant yep. and didn't, couldn't create bone marrow. Yeah, he was now and creating now his was own creating immune bone system. Marrow. Yeah. He still, wasn't made, he still wasn't building his own red blood cells. They're much more difficult to build. But his neutrophils and his immune system was there and it was ticking over and it was working. He was recovering. He was recovering. And so he got kicked out of the hospice. He got evicted from the hospice after eight weeks because he was no longer dying. And I've never even heard of that. Someone gave I know, right? Like, that's, kind of, that's like the best eviction you could have. Exactly. Like, Thanks, exactly. landlord. Uh, we're out. Thank you very much. Exactly. We're taking no chemicals with us. We're out. How much, yeah. how much cannabis were you giving him a day? Um, I think about three or four times a day I was giving him the five now. Just three or so four not times. a lot. Not, not a, a lot. Not really, no. Not a huge amount. Um, and this is at 14, right? This 14. is at 14. Okay. Just after his 14th birthday. So we were then obviously evicted. Um, but the hospital, we were five hours away from home. The nearest hospital to us to be able to do the primary transplant was Bristol, which is five hours away from where I came from and where our family home was. So they said to us, look, we don't want you to go back home because... We need to watch this. We don't know what's going on, but you don't need to be in a hospice. So we're going to put you in a hostel with 16 other families of other children that have just been diagnosed with cancer. We're now going to take you out of that environment. We're going to stick you in a hostel with all these people. That are sick. That are sick. In one room, all four of us in one room. So that was incredibly stressful. So Darren, unfortunately, then started to try and kill himself. Now, by this time, I'd taken the cannabis away because I thought, well, his immune system's good. He officially engrafted on day 104, by the way. That's when he made his own red blood cells by himself. So he's 104. And when the doctor said to him, wow, Darren, day 104, and he, you know, what have you got to say? And he says, uh, well, when are you going to stop giving up on people so early? And the doctor said, we didn't give up on you, Darren. And he went, you sent me to an end-of-life hospice. That's pretty much giving up on me, you know? Super ballsy, like straight oh, up. Oh, he's, he's you know? got That's solid. Huge, yeah. Huevos. He is. He, Con yeah. huevos. <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, he had a Spanish doctor. He, used to call him. <laughs> he had a Spanish doctor. And Darren had a Mohican. He had a pink Mohican at the time. Okay. And Darren used to call him, uh, his Spanish nurse after all this, called him Mojesus. And Mohawk Jesus. Mojesus. She was convinced. Oh, okay. He was the second color. She was convinced. Um, so unfortunately, so back to the seriousness of my, my kid trying to like kill himself yeah. and stuff, yeah. Yeah. Super serious. stay on point. I'm laughing on the inside. So he, yeah, so now he's so depressed because he's now stuck in the environment with these other families and like small world problems and he's like, nobody wanted to help him. I asked for psychiatric help for him to which I was told he didn't qualify for any in this country. So I had to continue with my pop psychology just trying to beg him to eat now, you know, and he's literally every single mountain refusing point blank to eat a thing. I remember being on my hands and knees in front of him with a cracker, like begging him, please, just Darren, because cancer's one thing, right? It's very, when you get cancer, especially in this country, you're taken into a system and you don't have a lot of choice. This was Darren doing this to himself. So I had now my beef with him. Because he was so depressed. He was, he was so, so damn depressed. The chemicals brought everything out. I mean, he had nothing yeah. And he didn't know, he didn't, I mean, I asked doctors, I said, look, are we talking about this as recovery for the rest of his life or are we talking what? Weeks or months. Yeah, and they said, what? we don't know, he could drop down dead next week. And they said that in front of him. So he was like, oh, good, great. 
So what do you do with that? You know, so he was so depressed. He's like, I just want to be gone. I want to check out now, right? So he... It's a four-year battle. Yeah, battle and this is going to be... Years, like, how much that's a lot. That's, that's half his life. Yeah, he point. spent two years in isolation from 12 to 14. Two years wow. in absolute isolation with nobody other than his nurses and his parents to see him. That was it. So he was incredibly... Yeah, he was incredibly depressed by this point. And... So he tried to kill himself um, through starvation. I took his laces off him. I took his belt off him. I took everything off him because I was terrified I was going to find him hanging, you know. And and it wasn't eating nothing. He got down to 24 kilos of protein, about four stone. I don't know what it is in pounds, but so those in the states that didn't understand the thing that she just said, that's about that's about 60 pounds. That's 60 pounds, yeah, for a 14 year old boy. So he was he was Auschwitz. Yeah, yeah. I, I said to you, you know, yeah, you day, did, I've yeah. never seen anyone that thin except on documentary about Auschwitz. Right. You know, he was literally skin and bones. And um, not Jewish. Oh, no. <laughs> and, um, except for the rat. He might have been very close. We'll get to the rat in a second. Yeah. Let's finish the serious stuff first. <laughs> I mean, the rat's pretty serious as well, just so we're clear. But. Well, the rat probably wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So, so yeah, so he's trying to kill himself, right? And I was just at the end of my tether, and we'd been offered a holiday in Spain. Um, my friends owned a villa, and they said, look, come to Spain, give him a holiday, you know, it could help him. So I spoke to the doctors, and I said, look, they wanted to, th- their answer to this, by the way, no med- no psychiatric help, they wanted to section him, sedate him, and force feed him. That was their answer to this, you know. They were going to use a sledgehammer to crack a walnut, effectively. Yeah, quarantine him and give him, yeah. Yeah, but let's not work out why or deal with the, the issues of why he's trying to kill himself. Let's just, you know. Put a bandit on the symptoms. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's like a lot of treatment, you know. Right. So I managed to convince him to let me take him to Spain. So we went to Spain. And over there, we met a guy called Jeff Ditchfield, who I'd heard a lot about. Um, we just wanted to go meet him to say thank you so much with the work that you do. He basically in the UK he gives oils to children and adults alike, illegal oils who can't. Oils. Yeah, absolutely full spectrum, THD, you name everything, um, illegally to stop them dying. And so for us it was like, wow, your work's incredible. We, we're here. We just want to come and say hello. And he took one look at Darren and said, "What the fuck is wrong with him? You know, he died. This kid's dying." I was like, "No, no, he's not dying now. He's like, you know, he got. You should have seen him three months ago." Yeah, but I, you know, because to me he was. You know, I've seen him worse, but um, he said, I, I can help you. I can help you with this. I was like, really? Well, how? He said, cannabis. And I was like, well, cannabis can... No, 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 you know, he's been on cannabis, cannabis days, but actually, what, what can cannabis do now with his eating and his depression? Really? Doesn't it cause problems with your mental health? And they were like, no, he educated me, gave us a syringe of oil, which was part of the seco, and went back to the villa the following morning, and I put a tiny, tiny amount on a, on a tiny little bit of a crisp, and I managed to get him to eat it. And um, within an hour, I was there prepping lunch, and he was down by the pool with his little brother. And I shouted down, um, "Do you want something to eat?" I was, "I'm, I'm preparing." It's so. Um, yeah, so what you said that? Yeah, so I shouted so he put, down. He, um, he put cannabis oil put, on a cracker. Yeah, it was a one to one. Within the hour, I said to him, "I shouted down, you know, I'm making some lunch, guys. Do you want anything?" So I was expecting the usual grunt, and Darren shouted, "Yeah, make me loads. I'm starving." I cried. <laughs> Immediately <laughs> carried on. It's the onion. <laughs> carried on. Um, made him loads of food. Took all the food down to him, and he just ate. Continued. It was like literally like I couldn't get it in quick enough. Yeah. It was, you know, it was everywhere. And then he was like, "I'm still hungry. I'm still hungry. You need to bring me more food." So I went down to the shops, got more food, and it was like, "Just get it in him." He didn't stop eating for twelve hours. <laughs> literally for twelve hours. He just stopped the toilet breaks. Sounds like a solid dude. 
Yeah, just I just yeah, picked up eating mean. crap. Sorry? Eating crap. Basically, eating, well, there wasn't, poop, a, lot, there wasn't a lot of crap in to start with because his, his body his body was like, yeah, give me the food. So I, it was pistachio nuts, actually. That's what he was like. I want pistachio. So all I can do was for like 12 hours. Cracking some nuts. Yeah, but you know, but high calorie foods, right? Yeah. So that happened that day, the next day, same thing. Mum, I'm stuck. A little bit oil on the cracker. I'm starving. For 12 days, this went on. It cost me a fortune. Right? Yeah. I wasn't <laughs> expecting this. This wasn't in the budget. So I, um, yeah, just getting the pistachios into him and he didn't want to die anymore and he was smiling and he was happy and he was stoned like a, he was out of his face. But in a, a way... Better stoned on cannabis than opioids. That's sure. what I mean. I've seen him off his face on opioids. I've seen him off his face on ketamine. And to see him off his face on this, I mean, it was, it was just, it's beautiful, you know. I, I was never worried about giving him cannabis or ever, never ever worried about it. And so we took him back to the hospital, we came back to England, and we went in for his checkup where they're expecting me to now have to sign him over. They're waiting there eagerly. Sign him over to the state. To get him into, to be sectioned. They wanted yeah, yeah. to get him into the section. And he walked in, and the doctor looked at me and said, Oh my God, he's like, he doesn't want to die anymore. I said, yeah, I know. And she said, his mental health is improved by like 300%. I don't know how she got 300%, but... Seems reasonable. Yeah, you know, pluck a figure from somewhere. Yeah. And I said, yeah. 0.3%, <laughs> but it's 300%. <laughs> and, and I said, yeah, I know. And she said, and he's put on four kilos. I said, yeah, I know. 10 pounds. Yeah. And she said, my God, the holidays in the world are good. I went, yep, it's the holiday. Yeah. Yep, leave us Spain is magical. Yeah, yeah. It's totally the sun, the sea, the sand is great. <laughs> And the next day, 20 grams of oil turned up in my letterbox from a, from a donation. And actually, if you watch the film, there's a film online on YouTube called Project Storm. Project Storm. Uh, Project Storm. Everybody should watch it. Um, Darren's in that film. And you find out where the oil came, where it was donated from. It's a beautiful story. So watch Project Storm. And so I continued. That was July of 2014. And every single day, Darren has had cannabis oil. Every single day since that day, um, 150 milligrams of a one-to-one. And, yeah, he's taken it every single day. He went to school. He, three months later, he recovered. He ended up going and doing his last year of high school on oil every single day. So it does nothing to an, an, you know, an adolescent mind. His mind it's is perfectly Yeah, it's yeah. done nothing to his brain. If anything, it's caused him to, to, you know, mental health. This is what was going to kill him the second time, his mental health. So it's completely turned that around. Um, he went to school. He walked away with nine qualifications after only doing seven months of high school. Um, he wants to train to be a chef. He's living life. He's very small. He's, he's, you know, his growth has been stunted. He's got twists in his knees and things like this. But the neurectomy, so the hand that he would never, ever use again, the hand he should never feel again. Two weeks after he'd been on oil every single day from when we came back, he started to tell me that he was getting pains in his fingers. He said, Mum, it's like electric shocks going up my hand. I said, no, this isn't possible. They've, they've severed and quarterized everything. They've quarterized everything. You're not going to feel anything. Maybe it's phantom pains. I'm thinking maybe, you know. He said, no, Mum, I can feel it. He said, and his and fingers start to move. And he's starting to say, Mum, I can... Mum, I can feel my fingers. I can feel my palm. I, I'm like, no, you can't. Looked into it, neurogenesis. It grows, THC especially grows new nerves around severed nerves or broken nerves. This is why it's so incredible in stroke victims because it actually, where you have the damaged part of the brain, neurogenesis will grow new neuro, neuropathic pathways around the damage and reconnect 
where they're meant to, like a diversion on the traffic, you know, they're meant to connect where it's meant to, yeah. So now he has full range of movement in his hand. It's only the very fingertips that he can't feel, and he can, he's training to be a chef, so he, he's cutting up, you know, cutting up vegetables and things. And, and I, and he'll be 20 in December, yeah. December, baby. Yeah, yeah. 1st of December, he'll be 20 years old. So there's that. And then he has avascular necrosis in his right femur, which um, basically, again, necrosis is there's an inch of dead bone across the bottom of his femur. And they told us then when they diagnosed him, he'll need a knee replacement if he survives. In five years' time, he'll need a knee replacement. This is irreparable. You can't repair dead bone, blah, blah, blah. About six to eight months ago, he had an MRI scan because his left knee is very twisted. He's had some bone deformities from the steroids and things like that. So he has an MRI scan. I get called into the doctor's office and he says, uh, I believe you were under the impression that Darren had avascular necrosis. And I said, no, I wasn't under the impression. I said, I've got the scans. I can show you the scans. You know, he's under a new hospital now. We've come back home, back to Norfolk. So new adult oncology as well. So new doctors, doctors that didn't know him. I said, no, I've got the scans. I can show you if you want to see them. And he said, um, no, 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 see, no, you must be under the impression because this is impossible. I said, oh, are you going to tell me it's gone? And he said, yeah. He has, he has a very small amount of avascular necrosis in his left knee, but nothing in his right femur. It's, you, you must be mistaken. And I said, no, you're the one that's mistaken. And, you know... And they didn't know that you were giving him cannabis. They didn't. Well, they do now. They you didn't. Know, at the time, they didn't realize. The, you didn't tell them. No, I told, I told the doctor when my book came out. I went into the doctor's surgery when my book came out, and I slapped the book on the table, and I said, right. So I gave them cannabis. I told his doctors back in Bristol. I rang them up, and I said, look, I'm going to be on the news in the next couple of days, and I don't want you to find out from that, so I'm going to tell you what I did. And two of them, incredible doctors in Bristol, said, why didn't you tell me? You know, and I said, oh, I couldn't. And they said, we would have never brushed you up. And I said, well, I didn't know that. And I had to protect my children at that time. You know? But these adult, these adult doctor knew about the cannabis and things like that. And, and I said to them, I, I said to him, I, I said, I slapped his hand on the desk and said, explain it. And he can't. And I said, I'll explain it to you then, you know, cannabis. To which he said, oh, I knew you'd bring that word up. I said, well, of course I'm going to bring the word up. It's the only reason why he's still alive. You, works, yeah. You've got 60 patients out there that could all benefit from this. And you're literally, literally putting your fingers in your ears. Literally, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. Infuriated. I want to shake the man, you know. But since Darren has been in and stood over his doctor and said, I want cannabis on my notes that you put on there now that I still take it. Because at the time that my book came out, I said that I had given it. I wasn't brave enough to say that I still Present. give it. Yeah. And I thought, well, they can't really arrest me for something they had three years ago, you know. But now as time's gone on and now when Darren became an adult, I stood up in Parliament and announced it in Parliament. That was the first time I ever said it out loud. I mean, I was really sick in my mouth. And I was like, oh, there's a chief of police there. There's MPs. There's like, there's coppers over there. And I'm now going to literally say, this is my son, Darren Blackon. I drew him forward and I said, he's illegally alive. And I want to introduce you to him. And they said, what do you mean he's illegally alive? I said, well, currently at the moment, he's consumed 150 milligrams of cannabis oil today. Full extract, one-to-one. This makes him illegally alive. I told the story, and I said, and I still do this now. I still give it to him now, and I help the other people that come to me. So I'm, I'm effectively helping hundreds of other people break the law too. And I went, I'm a criminal. In your eyes, I'm a criminal. And I don't want to be arrested. And I was told by the chief crime commissioner, he said, you won't be arrested. And I said, well, I'll take your word for that then. And as long as I don't, you know. So they know. They know what I do in this country, but... Nothing has come of it yet because I don't think they want that kind of PR. They don't for want sure, that. Sure. Especially now with the current climate of what cannabis is, how it's looking and things like that. They don't want any negative because it would be negative. Yeah. You imagine the uproar they'd be, the but would be it would be horrendous and they don't I'm want that. <laughs> it's the same thing in the U.S. with all these brands, Charlotte's Web and mm-hmm. 
Palmetto Harmony and brands that have popped up that have helped all these children with different ailments yeah. and epilepsy and stuff. And the blowback of trying to go after one of those companies yeah. when they've got all, these, all, the, all, the, all these families yeah. Yeah. and all um, these testimonials and yeah. proof that this product has helped people. Yeah. The blowback, public relations-wise, yeah. is just been tremendous. Yeah, I mean, I'm fearless now. You get in between me and getting my son cannabis. So you try and take cannabis off him now. I, I will. I'll go to prison for that. I, I, You're I'll, I'll, now. Yeah. Oh yeah, you know. Right. I, yeah. I was very when but I you've said, been through it. Yeah, I fought for yeah. him. I have fought for him. Where you know, I really had to fight to keep him alive and you know risk my own liberty and then continue to risk my own liberty for other people that I don't even know. I mean, there's a few in there today that have turned up and stopped me and they're yeah. like, you can't, you can't know how much you helped me. I'm like, what's your name? <laughs> and they go, oh, I like, oh, wow, you know, it's incredible. The testimonies I get back are incredible. It's what keeps me going because when a law is unjust, you have a moral obligation to, to disobey it, right? That's correct. You know? That's and so I guess the bottom question, which I think you just answered, so would you do it again? Yeah, I, I would absolutely do it again. I mean, I still do, you know? It's the case of... It's the right thing to do. Morally, when I when I know that I can help someone that comes to me and I can access good lab tested quality oils, if I say no to these people, they're not gonna take no for an answer. They're gonna go and find it from someone else. Someone who's not as ethical as me, someone who's not as morally charged as me, someone who hasn't been in their position. And I can't there's a lot of sharks out there and I'm not willing to just say, No, no, you swim with them, I don't wanna help you because I know that I can. So morally, I have an obligation to do that, and and also, you know, when it's such, it's the right thing to do, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So for those of you listening, you can find uh, Callie's book. It's uh, Callie Blackwell and Karen Hockney, The Boy in Seven Billion, uh, and it is out and available now uh, from Mirror Books. It's got a copy on Amazon. It's on signed. Amazon. It's on Amazon. Yeah. I got a copy signed. Super excited. Um, we'll we'll leave the signature to uh, to you know the audience's imagination. Um, but let's get into, oh, and by the way, this book is amazing because you can literally see there's pictures in the middle and you can literally see Darren at age from 10 to 14 to now, I guess, 20 at the back, right? Yeah, um, he's like 18 then in the pictures, but yeah. He's, yeah, like, like stone on opioids and yeah. then with life in his, in his eyes when yeah. he's on cannabis. I mean, it, it's just, it's that distinct. Yeah, I mean, it's can, the eyes. You can tell. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's absolutely fantastic. So thank you. look it up. When it, the Boy in 7 Billion, awesome, awesome book. But before we let you go, Let's get into some fun stuff. Now we covered the serious shit. Let's get into some fun stuff. So um, I understand one of your children has a pet rat. He did. Yeah, they're both dead now. Like, oh, <laughs> okay, so let's... Uh, let's I don't know watch. if there's any correlation between the death and what happens. Is it maybe the trauma? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the, the rat was so traumatized yeah. that yeah. he couldn't take it all. Yeah. You know? yeah. So, what, what, uh, so let's get into the story. So tell Morris us, so, yeah, Morris is Morris. This is new for Morris. We just... We just covered this recently, and you're like, you didn't put it in the book, so... No, I didn't, no. I'm I'm looking forward to the surprise story. This is what it is. On the 422, and let's talk up on the 422, what's not in the book is in the podcast. Yeah, this is... So let's make this happen. This is an outtake of the book. This is the last chapter of the book. Yeah. Only on Audible through us. And I want to say that I wanted to put it in the book, but my co-author who was editing for me went, let's not humiliate him like that. And I was like, let's. But yeah. she, she was she talked me out of it, so I would have done this. So let's so humiliate him for all of our listeners. Absolutely, he's yeah, he's, he's nearly twenty. He can take it. <laughs> so uh, so literally three days before Darren's diagnosed with leukemia, so he's ten years old at the time, and he didn't really have any leukemia symptoms. He was really quite well. So 
and I'm downstairs, and all of a sudden they hear, Mom, 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 like, like screaming. I was like, Man upstairs, what? And there's, there's my eldest son now, 10 years old, with his dick in his hand, like, Mom, it won't stop bleeding. And I'm like, what do you mean it won't stop bleeding? What have you done? Like, I thought he trapped it somewhere in a zipper or something, you know, because this kid happens, right? I'm like, what's happened? What's happened? He should have just gone with a zipper. He's really, zipper why did he not just go with a zipper? Way better, but it's way worse story yeah, than what we're about absolutely. to hear. Absolutely. So he, I'm like, what have you done? What have you done? Now, my youngest son, Dylan, had two pet rats in a cage in his bedroom. Massive gap in between the rat's cage and the bed. So I said to Dylan, what's happening? Because the, the rat bit me. What? What do you mean the rat bit you? What, you? You come out of the shower, you're naked, you've got a towel wrap around yourself, you're big bleeding. What do you mean the rat bit you? How did the rat bite you? It's in a cage, you know? And he's like, well, I, I was walking past the cage <laughs> and like it slipped in and like it bit me and I was like, Pat, you are walking past the cage. There's a meat are you right, you will no, no hang on, just tell me the truth here. That you put it in the cage, didn't you? No, 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 I just no yes, I did. I just wanted to see what would happen. Well now you know. You're bleeding and it won't stop. Note to self, rats get horrible blowjobs. Yeah, they really do. It was <laughs> like he stuck his dick in the rat he cage. He stuck his dick in between the bars of the rat cage to see what would happen. And he's, and he's got a foreskin, so he stuck the foreskin through. And, and the rat, like a staple gun, just went to the end, right? Through both. Through both, and he's bleeding. At this point, we didn't know that his platelets were literally nothing because he's got leukemia, right? So his platelets, his blood's not clotting. He's just bleeding and bleeding. He's just bleeding out. He only told me years later, Mum, I was there for like 10 minutes trying to stop it before I called you. You know, he's like literally there going, oh, how am I going to... Yeah, because you don't want to tell your mom yeah. I'm Exactly, right? So he's... he's, he's, he's the, the the Lord, put in the cage. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Yeah, yeah. right? So you know, the, who would have thought that you'd stick your dick in your cage and then all of a sudden you realize you got leukemia? You like, right? I mean, what? that's actually super like, fortuitous, right? <laughs> Thank you, rats. Thank you for the rat bite so that I can now know my dick hurt, and I have leukemia. If, if yeah. he didn't stick his dick in the cage, he might have just ended up going. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, the, the, this was just another... I was going to take him to hospital. And he was, his symptoms were that he was off his food, and he said that he could feel something really large inside of him, and when he rolled over, he could feel it falling. We found out later that was his spleen. His spleen was the size of a cat. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so... Oh, yeah, so... So, yeah, so, so he's bleeding. We managed to get a bleeding to stop, and anyway, three days later... He's being sick. He's, you know, it he's didn't bleed for three days. No, thank, thankfully it stopped. And it's like, swat, don't do Dick that again. Yeah, you silly boy. So we end up in hospital on the Friday because of other symptoms. And, and he has a blood test. It's like, really sorry, you've got leukemia. Oh, shit, you know. We end up in hospital. We get blue-lighted to another bigger hospital, like half an hour away, that could cope with the cancer diagnosis. We're there. The following morning, they have to come and give him a checkup. Now he's he's now got um, a line in. He's he's hooked up to all these machines, and then he's like, "Mom, mom, I really need to go to the toilet." I mean, and I said, "Okay, well, I'll get you unhooked." And as I'm starting to unhook, the doctor walks in and says, "I just need to give him an examination. It'll be very quick." And he's like, "No, mom, I really need to go to the toilet." And with little boys, when they really need to go to the toilet, it kind of inflates their penis. And so he's like, "No, mom, I really need to go body to the boner. toilet." Body boner. Yeah, I said, "I a body boner." And he's like, I really need to go to the toilet. And I said, you're just going to have to wait now. So the doctor's like, do you mind if some students come in? And he's looking at me already like, mm, and the world, he wants the world to open up already, right? Because he just needs a wee and he knows he's got a boner. So I'm like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And Dylan's like, yeah, it's fine. So about seven really young female student nurses walk in and they're all gathered. And the doctor's a, a, a female as well, right? So if he didn't have a boner from going to the bathroom, he would have one <laughs> exactly. the nurses as a hot doctor. Exactly. 
So kids, the, yeah, horrific. So the doctor's like, well, I just need to check under your armpits. I'm like, checking your armpits. She goes, right, and now I need to check your testicles. I need to check all of your glands. And he's like, what? So she says, yeah, just, can you just pull your pajama bottom down a little bit, please? So he pulls it down, and obviously as it catches, it goes up like this. The porn music's in the background. Yeah, and he's, she's not even blinked. The doctor's not even, not even blinked. Well, she's probably seen this before, but Darren's like red, crimson, you know? <laughs> and he's like, she takes his boner in her hands like a joystick and starts moving it around to get through the testicles, feeling all the glands. He's looking at me like this. Oh, God. Then she says, <laughs> why is there a scab on your foreskin? And Darren looked at me, and I went, would you like to explain, Darren, why there's a scab on the foreskin? <laughs> and he went, no. I want you to explain. Really? You want me to explain? I'll explain. <laughs> so, doctor, three days ago, Darren thought it would be a good idea to stick his dick in a rat's cage. All the nurses, the student nurses, are like, <laughs> trying to be professional, like, <laughs> gigging, laughing behind. The doctor's like, sorry, excuse me. So, uh, so, so, so the doctor's still got the boner in the hand going, excuse me, what, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, I just want to see what would happen. And she went, you silly boy, your platelets are literally zero. You could have bled to death, infections, blah, blah. And he's like, I didn't know it was leukemia, did I? Oh, bless him. It's a hot, I just, I felt so, but inside I was giggling too. I, I, was, I had to It's pretty it. hilarious. It is pretty hilarious. And I thought, you know what? If you're going to remember anything in your life, you're never going to forget this moment. And you're never going to stick your dick in a rat cage ever again. Yeah. He is the most so, anti-bestiality of 10-year-old <laughs> that's probably ever on the planet. The moral <laughs> of the story is, don't stick your dick in a rat cage if you've got leukemia. If there's a rat cage, keep it in your pants. That's the takeaway, team. From the homeless yeah. No shimmy, yeah, shimmy, That's hard. the takeaway from this episode. Yeah. Do not put your dick in a rat cage and get leukemia. Absolutely. So, brilliant story. So, the doctors, yeah put it back in his pants like nothing to put it folded it back like a down yeah put it back down folded over and said well Darren I said you know silly silly boy and she kind of just walked out and all the nurses they were finally tucked behind and he yeah and then I took him to the toilet nice <laughs> fantastic well it was, it was, thank you very much for spending some time I know it's crazy and we literally as we've been sitting here like 10 people have come I up mean, and the shush giving people. hugs and kisses and just <laughs> people and um, obviously you're making a great impact and it's an amazing story thank you um, again the boy, the boy in seven billion. Great, yeah. great book. Thank you, Kelly Blackwell. Thank you very much for thank being on Let's Talk Him. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate Hopefully, it. see you in America sometime. For sure. Yes. Get uh, get uh, get out to Noka, right? The I would love to. So we got to get you out there. It's in a month, but uh, yeah. So we're here at the NEC conference at the Hemp and CBD Expo in Birmingham. Yeah, Birmingham, not Alabama. Birmingham, UK. I almost said Birmingham, Alabama, but which is weird because no one here looks like anyone looks like in Alabama. <laughs> And the food in Alabama, they use spices in their food in the UK, they do not, right? Which is amazing. You own the spice trade, pick one, you know? That's also the takeaway. Pick Just one, one put it on your tomatoes and your mushrooms at breakfast, yeah. and let's, uh, we just and your fried egg. Salt solves everything in this country. We just yeah. stick salt on it, fine. Right. That's the one spice you guys yeah. picked up, right? Yeah. That's I amazing. Know, right? Like, you picked up AF, right? So it's good. All right. So, Morris, Rick, signing off for Let's Talk Hemp at the Hemp and CBD Expo. Right on. We'll see ya. Thank Cheers. you very much. Cheers. This episode of The 422 is underwritten by The Hemp Road Trip and HempEvents.org. Visit www.HempEvents.org for the best filtered listing of hemp-related events in the United States and abroad. All right, guys. Wow, what an absolutely amazing interview. Again, we thank Callie Blackwell for that. Morris, I mean, you heard that, I think, for the first time when we were sitting there. I had heard a lot of it before. 
Uh, what, were, what were your thoughts? Well, it's another one of these amazing stories when you hear about a mother and their child or parents and their children and their children have these situations, these ailments, and nothing's helping. They're prescribed all these pharmaceuticals, and then all of a sudden they come across cannabis for one reason or another, like Charlotte Figgy or Janelle Ralph and Palmetto Harmony. And there's all these stories all that we these, hear. All over the world. All over the world. Yeah. I mean, it's not like a unique situation. I mean, it can be unique to a particular part of the country or per, per part of the world, but these things are happening all over the world. And again, and again, and again, it's cannabis that comes and saves the day. And it's this non-toxic plant that grows from the earth that is saving all these children's lives and, and giving them a quality of life. And, and, and it works for pets, and it works for adults, and it works for palliative care, end of life. I mean, literally, some of the things I thought was interesting about the story is that Darren was there when he was 10 years old and giving all these toxic drugs, right, all these, all sorts of, and she can give us a list, it was crazy. Um, but he was transported to hospice, they thought he was going to die. I mean, he was 10, then it didn't, you know, didn't pass, they kept going, living longer, living longer, he kept fighting, this kid kept fighting through all this shit, Right. Essentially pumping it full of so many drugs that, that weren't solving the problem. They were just masking, you know, morphine was actually helping you die quicker. And he didn't want to do that. And it was all all this sort of stuff. And then she just wanted to give him something that, to help him deal with his pain, right? And, and go out go out not on morphine, actually, what is exactly what we requested. And I think it was that that when, when it started... When it started recovering, and when his hand, when his hand that was like not like when it's essentially dead tissue, right on his three fingers, actually when it came off had regrown tissue, right? That that's crazy, dude. That's like Wolverine type stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> like for real. Not adamantite or whatever that the metal is. I don't know. I'm not you know. I'm not. I should be more. I'm not a comic person, but I think that really the regeneration when we talk about regenerative agriculture, regenerative bodies, right? Things that feed regeneration and regeneration of your neuros and your neurology and all that sort of stuff. Again, I'm not a doctor, but it's just, it's, it's incredible that the thread to all of this often is cannabis oil, right? Cannabis extracts. And no wonder then pharmaceuticals don't because this kid doesn't take anything. Now he lived, he, I mean, the story was incredible as you know, but obviously we just heard it, but he's 20 years old now. He has use of his hands, his boat. I mean, it was just it's incredible how much this plant has given back to this particular kid. And we see this, like you said, all over the world, right? Kids and adults. And and, and, uh, and I thought it was interesting, right? The doctors were so, they were kept in the dark because they had to be, right? Others were taking the kid and put him back on drugs till he died, right? Um, but they took that holiday in Spain, remember? And the kid got, and, and Darren, Darren got better. And they came back and the nurses and the doctors all thought it was because they took a holiday in Spain. It wasn't because the mom was feeding cannabis extract to the child. They thought, literally thought a holiday in Spain took this kid from having leukemia to not having leukemia. And if that was the case, I mean, Spain, we'd all be going to Spain all the time. I already like Spain because I live there, but like there'd be a cancer-free Spain, you know, like that'd be the thing. So obviously that wasn't the case, but it's just the nurses and stuff. And that one doctor, remember she, she mentioned that he put his fingers in his hand, in his ears when she talked about cannabis because he didn't want to hear the cure. He didn't believe her. How ridiculous, like, how ridiculous is that? Like, that's pretty stupid. No, no question. No question. Uh, I mean, I, as a doctor, you have a, you have a, you have a, an oath and you take a, you take a pledge and an oath to, to always go for the health, the best health of your patients, right? And so why wouldn't you want something or at least to learn about something that has been shown in one patient to be effective. To me, I would want to learn more about that, right, if I was a doctor. Uh, I don't know why a doctor wouldn't want to learn more about that. 
uh, to get to be a doctor, you have to learn how to, you know, research and read and all sorts of, and usually they have a very inquisitive mind, at least every doctor that I know, most of them, but why you would put your fingers in your ears is childish and just, again, I think just stupid, right? It doesn't, it, it, it's crazy. The final thing I want to go over, and I think we touched on it a little bit, was, I, I know this is a bit long, but I think this is important, is bone marrow, according to the, the Callie and the doctors, after 69 days, they tried four, four different bone marrow grafts and none of them took. So essentially the bone marrow was not growing and the tests will prove this. And when the bone marrow doesn't grow, you can't regenerate cells. You can't regenerate, your, you can't regenerate anything. Your, your bone marrow, what feeds your, you know, feeds your body is shut down, right? So, uh, and they actually took, and, and not only that, but they cauterized some nerves. He had some finger problems. They cauterized nerves in one of his hands they cut it and they just cauterized so the nerve wouldn't cause you know nerve pain down his hand, literally killing the nerve, uh, the nerve ending. And they said he would never use his hand again. And now he is using his hand. Those nerves have grown around that cauterization, which is super crazy regenerative. And the bone marrow, I think it started, what, a day 100 or 104, she said. The bone marrow was shown to come back and the doctor was like, oh, we misled you. He did have bone marrow growing. We just, you know, we told you the wrong information, which she obviously has test to prove that they didn't tell her the wrong information that the bones weren't growing and now they are. I mean, it's just, that's fat. That's insanely fascinating to me. Like that's literally, it's like starfish kind of stuff. Like you're regenerating your hands. I mean, I think uh, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Well, that's why a lot more research really needs to be done when it comes to this plant and all the different compounds that exist within this plant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because different compounds, the terpenes, the other pieces have shown benefits in other areas, right? They can enhance certain things or they can mitigate, right, certain certain functions uh, within the body. So I think absolutely we need to have more research done, but these stories continue to amaze me as we go all over the world. I mean, it's absolutely, it's incredible. And I, I'm, I'm happy to be on the side of advocating for these solutions and more information and, uh, and the right side of history, really, when it comes down to it. That's what we're here for. So yeah, so finally we'll, we'll leave one, one little thing. I love I love this quote. Essentially the part where she was discussing the crazy amount of prescription drugs and the prides and probes that Darren went through. I mean, when he finally got off, he, he literally told him, get all that stuff away from me and out of me. Uh, and, and she used this quote that I love. And essentially it's, it's talking about the over-prescription of uh, prescription medication for pain and, and those sorts of items when all that stuff's really not necessary. I mean, at one point, he was giving himself his own injections of that opioid. Remember, it was crazy. It was supposed to take like 15 minutes, and he would just get after it. But anyways, her quote was, often in medicine, they use a sledgehammer to crack a walnut, uh, which, which I love that statement. Uh, I, I love, I love uh, you know, how she put that. Brits put things a little weird. Uh, what do you think? Is that a good statement, using a sledgehammer to crack a walnut? I thought it was a tremendous statement. And it made me crack a smile. It did. It did. A <laughs> smile that could crack a walnut. Exactly. Um, you don't need a sledgehammer. You just need a smile. You just need a smile. I love it. Uh, but yeah, we wanted again, um, uh, The Boy in 7 Billion is the name of her book. Uh, Callie Blackwell. Check it out. Uh, you can get it online on Amazon. And, uh, and we have a signed copy of it actually from her, which was super generous. And my sisters did read the inside of the book and they did question her signature, which I appreciate, Callie. Thank you very much. Anyways, we've got uh, one final segment coming up. Um, so it's, it's called our Stop Being Done segment. So we'll, we'll get into that here in a bit. All right, we're back with the final segment of the episode. And this is simply entitled Stop Being Dumb. 
Right on. This is one of my favorites, Morris. So we're presenting a new segment uh, this week presented by the Hemp Road Trip, but it is hashtag stop being dumb. So we launch highlights of what we call the Dumasses in the industry. Um, that's French, uh, for I'm sure you can guess. So it's either dumb statements, decisions, or dumb policies or regulations. So just as we found in the Cali story with the doctor putting his fingers in his ears when she wanted to discuss how cannabis worked, the stop being dumb label is applicable to anyone, even to doctors, lawyers, grandmas, and grandpas. So let's get into this week's Stop Being Dumb segment highlights the recent decision by Governor uh, of South Dakota, Christy, what is it, Morris Noam? Christy Christ Noam, the governor of South Dakota, vetoing the industrial hemp bill. Yeah. Because industrial hemp is specifically there to lead to marijuana legalization. That's a it, it's a gateway to marijuana legalization. That's the only thing. Yeah, no money, no I'm so no I'm dumb. That's how you pronounce her name. Governor Christy, no I'm dumb. Uh, she recently uh, really caused a lot of economic harm to South Dakota for for real. She uh, even though per federal law, the transportation of uh, hemp across state lines in any form that is uh, recognized as legal in one state will be legal in all 50 states. So all of this hemp will be traveling on the roads through South Dakota. And other than giving them gas money, there is nothing else that the, the citizens of South Dakota will gain as a result. They won't have better soil on their farmland. They won't have the opportunity to get to get real income on their family farm or on their farms. And, and they really won't get any of the thousands of jobs and uh, and taxes from these businesses. None of that goes to South Dakota because of Governor Noam Dumb. So let's go through this, Morris. This is interesting. So House Bill 1191 was the bill that went to both houses and passed fairly strongly, uh, went to the governor for vote. So the original House vote, 65 in favor, two against. So that passed pretty solidly. The original Senate vote, 23-4, 12, uh, so essentially half, against. So that passed. Went to the governor, who uh, Governor Noam Dumb. She said March 11, 2019, she vetoed it. And the reason she gave, according to the video that was posted on the Facebook, uh, because her self-proclaimed uh, most connected governor in South Dakota history is what she proclaims. She's obviously connected to the wrong side of history in this case, and we'll get into who she's connected with here in a few moments, allegedly. Well, we won't allegedly get into it. We'll get into it, but it'll be alleged. So anyways, after the veto, this is crazy. The House uh, was 55 Four and 11 against, so quite a few, nine more went against it. Uh, and then the Senate override was 24 and 13 against, and you need two-thirds. And so they lost three votes in favor and gained one against in the Senate. So some backdoor action there, and uh, essentially it didn't get passed. So the veto was upheld. I think the governor was claiming what, Morris? She was claiming that it was the law enforcement couldn't tell between marijuana and hemp. Right, there was no. Yeah, it's going to be. It was going to tax the law enforcement too much because they couldn't tell the difference, and their dogs can't tell the difference because their dogs just they, they they are trained to smell THC. Which does THC even have a smell? I mean, it's really it's the terpenes. It's the terpenes. I, I don't know, and we can maybe have someone in if, if you guys know and we can write in on how dogs identify. I think it's probably just the whole smell of cannabis itself versus. I don't think you'd smell THC, but if we're wrong, you know. Maybe Hip Feed Coalition or someone out there could come in and help us out with uh, 
the olfactory scientific olfactory information about dogs and cannabis, drug dogs and cannabis. But to your point, law enforcement being confused was one of her concerns. Uh, another one of her concerns was that this was a backdoor entry to the CBD lobby, the CBD oil industry. It has nothing to do with hemp. It's about the CBD industry, which the CBD industry is farmers growing high cannabinoid cannabis. Legal cannabis. Legal cannabis that's low in THC but high in CBD and being able to make a pretty hearty margin on that. To me, it's still all about farmers. Yeah, it should be all about the farmers. But but I think, uh, you know, I talked to some people in the industry and I have some information that will bring to light kind of back to, to Governor Noam Dumb. Um, we'll bring back to light Epidiolex uh, amendments that are coming in and and some of the things that I think Epidiolex is obviously owned by GW Pharmaceuticals, who again aren't necessarily the enemy, but this law is being passed in such a way. It, it's interesting. I think the Wall Street Journal recently reported in that California, right? California, the seventh largest economy in the world, has one paid lobbyist from GW Pharmaceuticals is, what, is what's been uh, posted, what we understand publicly. Whereas South Dakota, not even close to probably the 700th biggest economy in the world, uh, has three GW Farmer lobbyists on their payroll, right? So that's super interesting. Um, the fact that CBD was actually made a Schedule Four drug in South Dakota, one of the first states to do that, along with, I believe, Nebraska, uh, just kind of shows you, I think, where the leaning is of the administration in this particular case. So uh, the Stop Being Dumb first award goes to the governor of South Dakota for vetoing, Governor Christine Noem, for vetoing House Bill 1191 to allow the citizens and farmers of South Dakota to gain economic benefit. So uh, she gets that. So essentially 42 states. Let's just give an overview of, of the landscape here in, in the, to wrap up the segment. 42 states have hemp laws enacted. Um, South Dakota, her governor is being dumb. Uh, the federal farm bill states specifically that states cannot interfere or prohibit transportation of legal cannabis across state lines. So, again, all the economic benefit other than the gas and oil uh, for the trucks will go to states outside of South Dakota. So the final vote, 20 to 13 in the Senate, uh, was didn't allow the two-thirds majority required to override the veto. And so the no-nos took it, and the no-nos sent all that money outside of South Dakota. It's pretty stupid. So Hashtag. Stop being dumb. Stop being dumb. So this one was brought to you first ever by the Hemp Road Trip. We're about to take off on Tour 7. So upcoming the NOCO Hemp Expo next week, which, of course, you're all going to be there at. Uh, and then Earth X in Dallas. Hemp on the Bayou is a new thing out there in Louisiana to help you all understand what's going on. Uh, maybe get some red beans and rice. Definitely get some crawfish bread. And then uh, we'll stop up in Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, then wrap it up, up going west to Kansas, Utah, Nevada, and then California. Mo, you'll be out there with us for Hemp History Week, June 3rd through the 9th in California, including an awesome concert brought to you by the HIA and Hemp History Week. And Dr. Bronner, on the 6th of June, we have a Grammy-winning guest that we are not allowed to tell who it is. Uh, but it's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great concert for real. So that'll be the 6th. But we have awesome stuff happening all week all over the country hemphistoryweek.com I think is where you go so anyways check out the hemp road trip uh, back to the sponsors so and, and let them know if you're around in any of those states April 25th through June 15th so um, 
Well, I think we did it, dude. We got uh, this Mo Venture with yeah. season two across the pond. Yep, we're going to wrap up this episode, but one last thing. So next week is NoCo Hemp Expo 6. We've moved it to Denver. We're at the Crown Plaza DIA. Sold out space, tickets. If you don't have tickets yet, please check the website. As of when this is broadcasting, I'm not sure exactly what will be left, but tickets are selling fast. The conference is almost sold out. We're going to have thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people out there. It's going to be an amazing event. Twice that. Yeah, twice that. And we really uh, just look forward to seeing everybody out there and bringing the community together and, and taking it on throughout 2019 and into 2020. And guys, for real, it's called No Co, not No No. So you got to get your tickets today for real. It is going to be, if you don't have your tickets, it's going to be a no go. So get your tickets to No Co today. You can go to nocohempexpo.com. You can also find it on social media. They have it on Facebook. Uh, but get your tickets today and get locked in and come out and see all the amazing programming. We just finalized uh, all the stuff this afternoon, and it's absolutely broad net, the broadest net of any expo we've seen across the, across the world, actually. And um, shout out to Colorado Hemp Company and uh, and all the team there for for rocking out this NOCO. So get, get your tickets now and get out there. We'll all talk right. to you next time. All right. Thanks, guys. The best way you can support the show is to share this with your family, friends, and colleagues. Don't miss the opportunity to learn more about this podcast at letstalkhemp.com. And if you enjoyed the show, feel free to subscribe and leave us an iTunes review. Thanks for listening. See ya. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Are you looking for the next great cannabis business to invest in? Then you need to check out the MJ Bulls podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Humiston. Join me each week as I speak to both cannabis entrepreneurs who are raising capital and cannabis investors who are investing capital. Our 10-minute episodes are perfect for the busy investor. Start listening to the MJ Bulls podcast today, wherever you listen to podcasts, and who knows, maybe you'll discover the next cannabis unicorn.